Well, that's good. It's not on my screen, but that's okay. I'm going to play again. There we go. All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much again for another day just to be alive. We thank you for the air we breathe, for the food we eat, for all your provisions that none of us deserve. They're all grace provisions, Father, and we know they're all grace gifts from you. Father, most of all, we thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to take our debt out of the way completely. And through trusting faith in him, you give us eternal life as only something that an awesome, gracious God could do. So we thank you for that, Father. We ask that you guide this message, have your spirit teach us, and it's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. The Gospel, Salvation and Sanctification, Part 111. I don't know about you, but the last two lessons for me have been what I would call keepers. And it may be something that personally I'm going through in my soul where it really um, hit me and opened my eyes to a bigger picture perspective maybe. Um, I don't know if it's happening to some of you or all of you as well, but I keep a list of key lessons and I actually write down the date and the description of that lesson. Like in other words, why it made such an impact on me to remind me in the future. And honestly, the last three lessons made that list, even though I very rarely add to that list at all. So again, it could just be me, definitely, definitely possible. But with that said, I hope you all go back and listen to Sunday's lesson again. Um, it was also pastor's request, if you remember, to let it sink into our souls, what was spoken of on Sunday, and without asking him for a contract from us, if you remember. Or he didn't ask for a contract from us. You know what that's about if you were here Sunday. So what we've been hearing lately from the Spirit are things that we each must make personal in our own souls. It's between us and the Lord. These are things that cannot be um, just gobbled up as knowledge. They literally have to be something that we take time with and dwell upon uh, between ourselves and the Lord in, in our own quiet time. I believe we will all be set free to a greater degree because of this, because of what's been taught the last couple of lessons even. For me, I know he is slowly, and I do mean slowly, changing me from a have to to a want to, uh, from a should do to a want to do. You know, these are back to heart issues, right? Um, it's easy to accept the academic information to claim the contract, if you will, and um, say, okay, because of that, I should do this. It's almost like an obligation, right? But God is after our hearts, and he's trying to change us. On the board, regarding being set free, the Lord is changing our hearts from obeying in obligation to obeying with joy. And that can only come from the source of his love. 
That's the only thing powerful enough to wake us up and to get us out of that old way of thinking. The Lord is changing our hearts from obeying in obligation to obeying with joy. And it all comes from the source of his love. Only God's love can change people's hearts like, like this. And he does it positionally for us when we are first saved. And then he works on us experientially throughout our lives. And it is a process, therefore. It's a good process. But because of his love, he promises to fulfill it all for us and in us. So to begin a recap of the Spirit's message on Sunday, God graciously gives faith to the humble, namely faith that saves. We then consider the temptation of Jesus and the faith that delivered him. And this has been the last couple lessons now regarding the power of grace through faith. God knew from eternity past that Jesus would never fail as the blameless and spotless lamb. Yet scripture says he really was tempted. By grace through faith, Jesus in his humanity was delivered despite the potentiality of failure. It was by grace through faith. In the same way, God's grace ensures the potential never actually comes to fruition regarding any of his promises, especially regarding salvation and eternal security. God's grace provides perfectly for the one who receives saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. When we receive that saving faith, think of it this way, we freed God up to do whatever he needed to do in our lives, not only to save us, but to keep us saved. And part of that is not tempting us beyond what we're able, as we've been seeing. And if God is the one who gives the humble person faith as a gift, which is the truth, right? In Ephesians 2. If God is the one who gives the humble person faith as a gift, and God's gifts are all good and perfect, then faith is something that cannot fail in the end. How can faith fail if it's one of his gifts? And his gifts are all perfect. So true faith cannot fail, and his grace sees to it that it doesn't fail. And he, the Lord, stands behind us and supports the faith he has given to us. So God ensures our faith never fails. This is a real, ever-present reality and activity. He ensures that his children never lose faith, quote-unquote. He not only saves us daily, but he actively ensures our faith never fails through a variety of ways. Does this mean that we never, like, doubt? Does this mean that we never lose faith in a particular circumstance? Or does this mean we, we never lose the faith? And I believe it means the latter. You know? Nobody's perfect. We all live with the sin nature, battling against the Spirit. You know, but, but John said, you know, in the epistles, they left us because they were never of us. That means they left the faith. 
So we're not talking about having times of doubt, you know, or losing faith in a certain situation and then recovering later on. We're talking about leaving the faith. God ensures our faith never fails. One way that we've noted is how God delivers us through any temptation. And that's what real faith does. Real faith delivers. This is coupled with the fact that God promises to never give us temptation more than we can bear. Even as part of eternal security, which is a new perspective for some of us. On Sunday, the Spirit gave us a wonderful parable through our pastor called Same Contract, Same Person, Same Outcome, but a different perspective. And it was about a benefactor who decided to pay the college tuition for an 18-year-old, even though the young person didn't know the benefactor very well. I'm not going to read the whole parable again to you again. I would not do it justice. And you'll hear it again when you listen to Sunday's message again, right? Just checking. But you really need to hear it again. You need to listen to what the Spirit said on Sunday about perspective and the change in perspective. In a nutshell, regarding this parable, same contract, same person, same outcome, but a different perspective. We heard of a big perspective change from someone who first relied on a contract for security and then learned to rely on the love motivation of the benefactor for security. That's a huge perspective swing. And we were encouraged as believers not to go through life on the premise of a contract. See, that's the easy way. The easy way is to say, you know, I got this in writing. At least our flesh probably likes that, right? I got it in writing. Uh, so I feel more secure, even though this may burn in a fire or the person who signed it, even more appropriately, might back out or die right, in earthly transactions. But it's kind of the easy way to, the easy thing to rely on. That way we don't have to trust in a person because trust means vulnerability. So we were encouraged not to go through life on the premise of a contract, not to go through life lacking the why behind the contract. Know and believe the person behind the contract. That's much more powerful when it's God. Picture the Lord Jesus standing behind the contract, literally standing at the table behind the contract. Just as he stands behind you as his child all the time, by the way. But doesn't that change everything when you picture the Lord Jesus standing behind the table, behind the contract? If he was right there in front of you, you wouldn't even look down at the contract anymore because you know the person and you know what he already did for you. So living by contract, that might be needed for a time, especially as we're still getting to know the benefactor. But living by contract is the way of the sophomore, if you think about it. And I can say it at least showed me how far I've got to go. This came out on Sunday as well regarding this parable. God says regarding eternal salvation, I sent you this contract 
as an added sense of security for you, not for me. For I know my own character and therefore do not need a contract to abide by. I love you. I'm your father. That trumps anything written in the contract, if you have a faithful father, a truly loving father. God is saying, I'd never back out of the contract because this is something I've wanted to do for you for a long time. I've done it, completed it on the cross, and I did all that out of love. Why would I back out of the contract now? Again, on the board, God is saying regarding eternal salvation, I sent you this contract as an added sense of security for you, not me. For I know my own character and therefore do not need a contract to abide by. I love you. I'm your father. Of course, we know a contract is only as good as the person signing it. But what if that person is truly perfect? in both integrity and love. This is hard for us to imagine in our flesh, from a fleshly point of view. But if this is true, and it is, then the contract, we don't have to look down at it anymore. We don't have to examine it. We don't have to hold on to it for our security. We hold on to Him for our security. So as your relationship with the person of God grows, your insecurities dwindle the more you realize his genuine love for you. Again, as your relationship with the person of God grows, your insecurities dwindle the more you realize his genuine love for you. For example, when we go from relying on the written word to relying on the living word, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. Our whole perspective changes. We rely on his perfect, loving person. The same person who wrote down the promises as a start for us because we needed that. We needed that security and he obliged us. But Loving the person takes our relationship to another level. Knowing the person, relying on the person instead of the contract takes our relationship to a whole nother level, a whole nother perspective. Again, picture the Lord Jesus standing behind the table, behind the contract. And I don't know about you, but that gives me an image of trust, an image of peace. So I don't need to cling to the written contract for security anymore when I know the person behind it is perfect. So a change of perspective can make a big difference in our souls as we've been learning. And this change of perspective makes it personal. That's what God wants after all. Your father, your benefactor made it personal. We are free, free to move on from clinging to the veracity of a contract to the fatherly love of a person. We're being set free 
This is what God wants for us. And it takes a change of perspective. We are free to move on from clinging to the veracity of a contract to clinging to the fatherly love of a person, a real person who is also perfect. Let go has been the message, hasn't it? Let go. Be vulnerable because you can be vulnerable before Him, before the Lord Jesus Himself. He's already earned His keep with us. More than done that, right? He's already proven the lengths He would go to for us. I don't know if you you remember that picture. There's a painting out there, a picture, where the Lord is holding up the man who has a hammer and nails in his hand and can't stand anymore. The Lord's standing right behind him with his arm around him like this, with perfect strength and perfect love, holding up this man who couldn't stand anymore, who was about to, in the picture, you know, hammer the nails. That's the one that we can now cling to. Make it personal. We can be vulnerable with him. This is what the Spirit's been trying to teach us about God's grace and salvation. And we must remember that grace is motivated by love. Grace is an expression of love. It is love expressed. So when true grace is present, true love is behind it. When we're treated by anybody with true grace, true love is behind it. Much so, much more so with God. So regarding God's perspective on salvation, while the Bible speaks plainly about the integrity of God never failing us, we have an even greater appreciation knowing that God keeps us saved because he loves us. Not because he has to, not because he wrote a contract and he has to obey his own word, which he does. But he's not a have to, he's a want to person because he's a perfect heart. He wanted to do this. He wanted to save us, and he keeps us saved by the same thing, his perfect love. If you look at salvation as a contract, only on paper, for example, it could leave you cold-hearted. And for some of us, that's where we were. And maybe you were grateful for salvation, but it was an academic thing not intimate and personal trust in your loving Heavenly Father. Maybe it was a little of both. Maybe you went back and forth, good day, bad day. But God is trying to swing our perspective to the other side. If we continue to look at the spiritual life academically, even though it's supernatural and dynamic, we can be lacking the why behind it all. And therefore, we're lacking the power behind it all. But knowing and believing the why is what changes everything. Go to Romans 5, verse 1. Romans 5, 1. Knowing and believing the why changes everything. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Could there possibly be a bigger demonstration than dying for your enemies? On the board, regarding love demonstrated, he did it. He did it. God did love. He didn't just sign a contract and make a promise. He performed the action necessary to save mankind, thus the proof that love is behind his promises. It's almost like collateral. You know, he didn't just sign a contract and say, don't worry, I'll save you, trust me. First, he proved it. First, he put, <laughs> he put it all in, right? Put all the chips in on the table. His own blood, he gave up. So now that that's accomplished, the contract's a formality, if you will. So God demonstrated love. He did it. He didn't just sign a contract and make a promise. He performed the action necessary to save mankind. Thus the proof that love is behind his promises. This is our God. What more could he possibly do to declare his love for us? He's saying, that's me. I'm your benefactor. The same one who purposefully died on the cross for you is the same one who saves you by grace through faith. If I already did the most difficult thing out of love, how will my love not save you and keep you saved? Let's read on in Romans 5, and we see that same rationale. Romans 5, 8 again. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. He already did the most difficult possible thing. He already proved His love with action. And now the contract is like a formality. The Word of God lays it all out for us. We need that written promise, especially as we're younger in the faith. 
But God says, look at my person. Look at my person. Look at the person behind these words. In Romans 5, we see that our family is in heaven, including the members of the Trinity. Each member of the Godhead is involved in securing our salvation. God loves us and desires that we understand that salvation is a family matter, not a contractual one. Though God certainly honors his contracts. Again, God loves us and desires that we understand that salvation is a family matter, not a contractual one. I mean, our tracks in the back of the church there, which, you know, we, we pass out, whoever passes out when they go to different places to spread the gospel, it's entitled Saved from a Death Sentence. And the whole story analogy in that track is about a man who was sentenced to death. He's on his way to the electric chair. And a friend steps in the way with the permission of the judge friend steps in the way just as he's about to go in there and, and die, a very painful, shameful death, right? Steps in the way and says, the judge, judge gave me permission to take your place. You go free. And the guards take the chains off of your hands and put them on your best friend's hands. And you literally walk out of the prison as your friend is put to death. I mean, what greater picture could there be? It's a family matter. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's a brother jumping in front of the train for you. It's truly a family matter. If he did that, the rest is just on top of it. So God ensures our faith never fails. One of the most magnificent truths of all for believers is knowing that by the integrity and merits of Jesus Christ, we remain saved. By the integrity and merits of Jesus Christ, we remain saved. How lovely to know that he won't let us go. The rest is easy, folks. The rest is easy. Keeping us is easy. He did all the hard work on the cross. The price has already been paid in full. So our part is, as human beings, as his creation, our part is receive faith in humility by grace. Receive faith in humility, both at the point of salvation and then as we grow in experiential sanctification. Receive faith in humility. That's our part. We recognize the love of our benefactor and rejoice in him, the person, that we have someone with undying love for us in our corner. That perspective should change everything, even if you're facing enemies, even if you're being attacked from all directions. You have a perfect loving benefactor in your corner. It's big picture stuff. So we allow, in humility, we allow God to give us the gift of unfailing faith. And that's what it is. It's unfailing faith that true believers have. Go again to Luke chapter 7, verse 50. 
and we'll see this unfailing faith again that the woman received. Luke 7.50 He said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Notice it doesn't say your faith will save you or your faith is saving you. It has saved you. Go in peace. She received in humility that perfect saving faith from God, that gift from God, which is unfailing faith. And we also noted in Romans 5.1, having been justified by faith, we have peace. We already read that, right? And here again we see that your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So this conclusion came up the last couple lessons. Peace is the result of true faith. True faith in the Lord gives peace. When we realize that God keeps us saved because of His perfect love, and not just because of a contractual arrangement, it's then that we begin to enjoy His peace and we appreciate Him more and more. How can we take someone for granted with this type of undying love? That would obviously be a big mistake to almost overlook the person and just stick with the contract, you know, because you can see it. So you're like, okay, I can see that. I can't see God right now. But it would be a big mistake to overlook the person. We would be the ones missing out on the incredible true security that only true love can give us. But we got to be vulnerable. We got to be willing to open ourselves up to the benefactor, to trust the benefactor. Again, we're back to heart issues. So this is the perspective he wants us to have when we consider the big picture. As we've been on for a while now regarding salvation perspectives, God's perspective is salvation from sin. And the believer is saved from sin. From man's perspective, we have these three tenses because of this thing called time. Positional, experiential, one day ultimate. So, God hopes that our perspective becomes like His. God hopes that our perspective becomes like His. Even though we're confined to time right now, He wants us to step back and see the end from the beginning like He does. In His eyes, it's all finished and complete. As we're being saved daily, which happens every day of our lives, as we're being saved daily, we rest on the fact that God guarantees its completion. Again, on the board, look at God's perspective. It is what it is. It's already done. And the same with sanctification. God's perspe perspective is that man is sanctified, set apart for him. We are stuck in time for the time being but he wants us to gain his perspective now so we can be set free. He, in other words, he has to complete the good work in us. He has to. In his eyes, it's already done. Right now, we're working it out. We're living it out. 
but he must complete what he started. So he wants us to adopt that view and say, I know, I understand, I see. I can't wait to see what you're going to do because I know I can't do it, but you promised. So our perspective becomes more like God's when we adopt that perspective. So this relates to pastor's parable. Don't forget to tie that into this reality that God is showing us. Our benefactor's love keeps us saved. Our benefactor's love guarantees our sanctification. So again, regarding God's perspective, your salvation and sanctification are the results of God's good work. He doesn't do these things because he has to. Rather, he does them because he wants to. He loves you. What's greater proof of him wanting to do this than the cross, which he could have easily escaped from? Your salvation and sanctification are the results of God's good work. He doesn't do these things because he has to. Rather, he does them because he wants to. He loves you. The more we live in this reality, the greater our appreciation for Scripture like 1 Thessalonians 5. Go again to 1 Thessalonians 5.16, please. He wants to. He wanted to. That truth, believing that truth, throws us into 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. If we believe and accept that he wanted to do this for us so, so badly, and he actually followed through on it, if we look at him, the person, the lover of our souls, instead of the contract, then this becomes easy. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. On the board, God's taking us to love. The more we understand and believe his perfect love for us, the freer we are in living the gospel reality. The more we understand and believe his perfect love for us, the freer we are living in the gospel reality. In other words, we're rejoicing always. Why? Because we're living in the gospel reality. We realize what happened. We realize what it means. We realize he's keeping us saved because he loves us. So we just, we don't actually have to force it or try to do it. We just rejoice always because our perspective's changed. And we're looking at the benefactor standing behind the table, behind the contract. And he's already got holes in his hands and feet. We're looking at him. So when you're looking at him, it's much easier to rejoice always. It's not even, it's not even a command that you have to um, acknowledge. I don't know if that's a word. You just do this because your perspective's changed. So how can you rejoice always if your entire way of living is based on a contract? Let's put it another way. What's more important in God's eyes, 
the letter of the law or the spirit of the law? What's God after? Our reciting his commands or our heart's desire? The answer is obvious. But they're like 180 degrees opposite. Really. You can't rejoice always if your entire life is living by the contract. Living by or trusting in a contract and not the person. You're just avoiding love. So God's after our hearts, and he's after us knowing and trusting him as the true benefactor. The more we understand and believe his perfect love for us, the freer we are in living the gospel reality. And that includes truly rejoicing always. With God, God's love in view, this is easy and enjoyable. Again, look at 1 Thessalonians 5.16. This is easy and enjoyable. The yoke is easy and the burden is light because your perspective's different. Rejoice always. Okay, that's not a problem. Pray without ceasing. No problem. And everything, give thanks because you're looking at the right person. The more we understand the view of our benefactor, God himself, the more we also understand Paul's sentiments, which we saw again in Romans 1.16. Go again to Romans 1, 16. This gives us a little uh, more color to the reason Paul said what he said here. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the gospel... The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Living by faith also includes faith in his love. Knowing the benefactor's motives and believing them. Faith in his love is a major contributor of living in the righteousness we've been given. What does it say in 117? In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. The righteous man shall live by faith. Believing God's love is a major contributor to living in the righteousness that God has for us. So on the board, regarding living by faith, experiential righteousness and sanctification are largely brought to fruition in our souls by having faith in his love. 1 John 3, 1, 4, 9 through 10, and 16. This is the righteous man living by faith. This is a big part of it. Living by faith means you trust in God's love for you, no matter the situation. You don't trust in a contract. You trust in him. Go to 1 John 3, verse 1. Again, experiential righteousness and sanctification are largely brought to fruition in our souls by having faith in His love. See how great a love 
the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God, and such we are. Go to chapter 4, verse 9. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. He loved us, remember, in Romans 5, even when we were His enemies. He died for us while we were still His enemies. And look at 1 John 4, 16. This is the love we have to believe in. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Through Scripture, which we, we might call the written contract, God helps us believe in His love as our benefactor. He teaches us about His love, slowly, faithfully. And we move from trusting the contract to trusting the motivation of its author. On the board, Psalm 36, verse 7 in the NIV, How priceless is your unfailing love! Both high and low among men, Find refuge in the shadow of your wings. Unfailing love. Love is the view of the heavenly perspective. See, God's trying to get us to look at things from heaven down, you know, not from earth up. You know, He's trying to give us the bird's eye view, and we can see it all as truth. And a big part of that is believing. That love is his entire motivation. It takes faith. So this is what the Spirit's trying to get us to see now. In Colossians 3.1, go there again. Colossians 3.1. Love is the view of the heavenly perspective. And we can have the heavenly perspective even though we're stuck on earth for now. Colossians 3.1 Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Imagine Christ's perspective right now. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Imagine how he sees things right now. Talk about big picture looking down on everything, having already done all the work he needed to do. And now it's just a matter of sealing his love at the end, which is a piece of cake, you know, compared to the work already done. So as we move from experiential sanctification to ultimate sanctification in this series, as we're almost uh, near the end of it here, we realize our hope even now is based on our future deliverance. That's where our eyes need to be. Our hope even now is based on our future deliverance. So regarding faith, hope, and love, faith is what gives us hope 
in things future, including faith in his love. And because we possess that hope, life today is not just bearable, but peaceful. We must keep our eyes on our future deliverance. We must keep our eyes on the big picture. Again, faith is what gives us hope in things future, including having faith in his love. And because we possess that hope, life today is not just bearable, it's peaceful. If we have that faith, it's peaceful. We must keep our eyes on our future deliverance. Go again to Hebrews 11, verse 1. You know, the amazing thing about faith, it's a gift from God, it's unfailing, and it, it, it contains in it omnipotence, the power to believe things that aren't even seen. That can't be a human faith. In verse 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's a description of living in the gospel reality, if you think about it. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I'm saved, I'm being saved, and he keeps me saved. It's easy for him. He loves me that much. We might say God wants us to live in our position in Christ because that's where we are by grace. That's our experiential sanctification. On the board, Colossians 3.1 in the New Living Translation, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Set your sights on the realities of heaven. You know, I think uh, that's a really good thing to do in prayer, which we get so busy sometimes. Um, sometimes we struggle in prayer. But what about just, you know, thanking God for eternal life, asking Him to help you get a glimpse of heaven, picturing the, the end, picturing that final destination, which we're going to get to in this series. But that's a very good thing to keep your mind uh, on the right things and with the big picture perspective. So again, we're now back to where we left off many lessons ago regarding sanctification perspectives, and we're shortly getting to ultimate sanctification. On Sunday, the Spirit had us end with a, an interesting emphasis. The Spirit had us focus on Himself, right? And He reminded us some great passages telling us that He's the one that sanctifies us, the Holy Spirit in particular. His Spirit lives inside of us as the one who accomplishes sanctification in our lives. And we do live a dynamic spiritual life. And it's by the power and guidance of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We do live a dynamic spiritual life. It's ever-changing. It's ever-flowing. And if it's by the Spirit's power, wonderful things are going to happen in our lives. 
He's the one, though, that sanctifies us. He's the one that accomplishes it. The Spirit is always working in our lives as He's ever-present, every step of the way, including when we stumble and fall. He's always at work. That means He's always sanctifying us. And let's never forget, too, again, perspective issues, okay? Step back. Think of the man behind the table. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ Himself living inside of us. Christ is not physically with us anymore, but He's with us in spirit, literally. He's with us in spirit. So we saw on Sunday uh, Baker's Dictionary regarding the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit is the dynamic of sanctification. Jesus said that he had to go away so that the Holy Spirit would indwell believers. John 14, 16 through 20. The quote-unquote Holy Spirit is so named not because he's more holy than the Father and the Son, but because his specific ministry vis-a-vis salvation is sanctification. What does sanctification mean? To be set apart or to be made holy. So the Holy Spirit, that's His job, to make us holy. Let's look at some scriptures here. Go to 1 Peter 1, verse 2 again. That's the Holy Spirit's role. Sanctification. The Holy Spirit is making us holy in our experience. Despite the battles. First Peter 1 2. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood, may grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. The sanctifying work of the Spirit. It's his work. Go to Second Thessalonians two thirteen. The Spirit of Christ is at work in us, folks. And He's making us like Himself. 2 Thessalonians 2.13 But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. Again, through sanctification by the Spirit. Here's something to ponder on the board regarding sanctification perspective. We can see the Spirit's direct ministry in our lives, in our sanctification. And He promises to take us there because He's already taken us there. Something to think about. Again, we can see the Spirit's direct ministry in our lives, in our sanctification. And He promises to take us there because He's already taken us there. For more on the Spirit's work in sanctification, go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. He's refining us. 
He's sanctifying us. He's setting us apart and making us holy. And our free will is involved. That doesn't change. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So, he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. For what purpose? To sanctify you, to make you holy. And look at 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you and he also will bring it to pass. How awesome is that? The God of peace himself, may he sanctify you entirely. He will bring it to pass. So on the board as we close, regarding the dynamic spiritual life, God's love through His Spirit will see our sanctification to fruition. He guarantees it as the great benefactor. The only one motivated by perfect love and the only one with the perfect power to pull it all off. What a combination. He does it all. God's love through His Spirit will see our sanctification to fruition. He guarantees it as the great benefactor, and He's the only one motivated by perfect love, unfailing love, and He's the only one with the perfect power to pull it all off. And as we close, we saw this on Sunday as well. Without the Holy Spirit's ministry, there is no spiritual life. If you are saved, you have it always. There's no losing it. He ministers the Word of God to believers, encouraging, empowering, and sanctifying us. I think we got an amen from outside. <laughs> so that's what the Spirit does. How cool to know the Spirit is the one sanctifying us. And He has to follow through on His Word. Not because of the written contract, because of his person. So let's bow our heads on that note. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for being the perfect, loving benefactor. Help us picture you behind the table, standing behind the contract. Jesus said, when we've seen him, we've seen the Father. We know your love in your person did what he did on the cross. The ultimate act of love has proven 
that we should be looking at you and not at the written contract. Father, help us to change our perspective. Help us to enjoy your love and your faithfulness and enjoy the fact that we can count on you forever because you have unfailing love. Father, please help us take this good news out to a lost and dying world that needs it so desperately. We ask that you empower us, give us courage and faith to go forward and live in the Great Commission in each of our lives. We thank you for everything you do for us. It's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.